Thankful to be here this morning. Couldn't ask for a better day to come out and worship. Perfect weather. Absolutely gorgeous outside. It's tempting to move the worship service outside, don't you think? I'd, I'd hate to break tradition, but on days like this, can't be that God has surely blessed us this morning. Like for you to keep my sister-in-law, Rachel Blanchard, in prayer. She's due any day. Could be today. And it's a boy. And Blanchard boys are pretty rowdy. So keep everybody in your prayers in our family. And Blanchard men are rowdy too. So it's just going to be an ongoing process of prayer okay, for the, for the Blanchard family. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start today in 1 Samuel chapter 28. What I want to do is I want to take a look at King Saul, just the the end portion of his life, and we're going to look at some of the things that he did, and then I want to prove that the doctrine of perseverance is false, meaning that you have to get better in order to go to heaven. You have to constantly grow closer to God, and you have to wind up better than you were in order to go to heaven. That's a belief that's taught, and I want to prove that to be false in this story of Samuel. Samuel was king. It was never God's idea to make him king. Man wanted a king. They begged God for a king, and God just allowed it to be. And if you read the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, it's always a negative thing for most of the time. And there were very few kings that did good in the eyes of the Lord. When you read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, most of the kings did evil in the sight of the Lord, and it didn't work out. So God allowed their kings to be, and here's Saul. He's the first king. And he started off pretty good, but as we're going to see, we're going to pick up at the end of his reign, he, he ended pretty poorly. So in chapter 28 of verse Samuel, we'll start in verse 3. Now, Samuel was dead. Samuel was a prophet. He's, he's gone and he's dead. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. So we get a little glimpse here of Saul did some good things. Saul um, had a heart for God at one point, and he said, In my land in Israel, we're going to remove all of the wizards, all the the false prophets, all the false worship, and and that's not going to happen here anymore. And we had a a psychic in Winter Garden, right on, the, on the, the main street, Highway 50, and it was right there in the middle of the road. And for me, personally, every time I, I drove by that place, it kind of gives me the creeps. It gave me the creeps. It's, it's, it's just there's something about it that j- it's just not right for the Christian. I get that feeling when I drive by a mosque. There's a huge mosque in Orlando, absolutely massive. I don't like driving by it. It doesn't make me feel right. Some of you may have been to Orange Church. Orange Primitive Baptist Church, right down the road from Orange Primitive Baptist Church, a huge Buddhist temple. I don't like seeing those things. I don't like seeing false worship. I don't like being around false worship. And neither did King Saul here. He said, in my kingdom, 
It's not going to happen. So he put them all away. And in verse 4, the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shum. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. So there's about uh, there's a battle that's about to happen. The Philistines against the people of Israel. And Saul... And when Saul saw the host of Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. So Saul here... He sees a great host, a great army coming his way. He fears for his own life, and he fears for his people, and he goes to God looking for help. But by this time, it's too late. He has been so disobedient that God has finally decided to turn his back on Saul. And he doesn't answer him. He was answering before by by prophets or in dreams. And this time, Saul looks for an answer, and he gets absolutely nothing. And he begins to panic. So why did God finally turn his back on Saul? And this is the reason. It's going to come up later in this chapter. But Saul went to battle with the Amalekites. And Saul was victorious because God made him victorious. But Saul was given the commandment, after you take over this army, you are to destroy everything. But he didn't do that. He kept the king Agag alive and he didn't destroy the best of their cattle. And he took it for himself. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. God had finally had enough. And he turned his back on Saul and he says, you're not going to get my help anymore. Now Saul begins to panic in verse 7. Then Saul said unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. So we go from our opening verse that Saul had taken the familiar spirits and the people that that dealt with these and the wizards and the psychics and he put them away. But now Saul grows impatient and says, since the Lord's not going to answer me, I'm going to get answers elsewhere. That's a lesson for all of us in our patience with God. We need to be patient when we pray. When we ask him for something, we need to wait upon the Lord. Think about maybe how the story would have been different if Saul just said, you know what, I'm going to keep praying anyways. You're not answering now, Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to persevere in prayer like God's Word tells us to do. And I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep asking for your help. Maybe God would have, would have switched his mindset and helped King Saul here. But instead, Saul has no patience and he goes to the very thing that he used to despise and he used to condemn. And Saul disguised himself in verse 8 because he was ashamed of what he was about to do and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring him up whom I shall name unto thee. So he goes to this psychic, this uh, person who deals with familiar spirits, and he says, look, I need a favor here. Notice he disguised himself. If you ever have to go out into the world to do something, and you have to put on another 
raiment, or you have to put on a hat, or you have to put on some sunglasses so no one knows who you are, you're probably doing the wrong thing. (laughs) And here Saul says, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this, but I certainly don't want anybody to see me. I certainly don't want anybody to know what big of a hypocrite I am. And sometimes I feel, even with myself, I've felt this way to my shame that sometimes when we come into God's house, we put on a disguise too. Because sometimes it's easy to blend in the world. You're out there day after day after day, and your Christianity at some point starts to wears off, and you start putting on other clothes that you shouldn't be wearing. And then you think you could come in on Sunday morning and just throw a nice suit on and everything's going to be alright. It goes both ways. And I pray for all of us that, that we could just be who we are. We're Christians. We're Christians. We should be behaving as Christians. And we should never feel like we have to put a disguise on when we go anywhere. We should be proud of who we are as a people. So he puts a disguise on. And the woman said in verse 9, He said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have some familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? The, the wizard here says, If you do this, I'm going to be killed because King Saul has sent out a decree that no one could practice this anymore. And now she's scared. And Saul, and Saul sware to her by the Lord. More trouble. See how it just keeps getting worse. It just keeps getting worse what Saul is doing here. And Saul sweared sweared by the Lord, as the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. He says, I need to talk to Samuel. Bring him up for me, please. But look what happens in verse 12. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul and said, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. So now she realizes that this is King Saul who's telling me to do something. She's been deceived, but she cries out with a loud voice because she's shocked that Samuel actually appeared. (laughs) She's in shock. You would think she would expect that if she was a true psychic. If, if she actually had the, the real power to bring someone up from the dead, and King Saul asked her, hey, bring up Samuel, when she would have seen Samuel, she would have expected it. But she cries out with a loud voice because she's shocked that Samuel's actually come. She was probably thinking about an excuse to give Saul why Samuel didn't appear. That, that's probably what was on her mind. But Samuel indeed gets, gets raised here, and, and he appears, and she is shocked. She cries out with a loud voice. You know that psychic I told you about on, on Highway 15 in Garden? It closed. It shut down. It's a salon now. It's a hair salon. I wonder if the psychic saw that coming. Because if the psychic would have saw that her business was going to close down, maybe she wouldn't, she, I wouldn't have done it, right? Or if the psychic was really good at what she did and every time someone came up to her to, to see into the future, well, she would never go out of business. She'd be making money big time. But it's all false. It's all hocus pocus. 
This lady is all hocus pocus. Samuel appears here by the power of God and not by the power of a psychic. In verse 13, And the king said unto her, Be not afraid. For what sawest thou? He wants to know what she's seen here. And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. He's worshiping the wrong person. Why are you worshiping Samuel? You should be worshiping God. And in verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed. For the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. He says, help me, Samuel, help me. But Samuel is on God's side. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then doest thou wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee? He says, Why are you asking me for? The Lord's already gone from you, and has become thine enemy. And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. So we have Saul here. He's about to lose the kingdom. God has, has, is tired with him. And he says, I'm going to hand the kingdom over to King David, who's a man after mine own heart. That's the person that I want to rule. Because thou obeyedest not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek, which we spoke of already. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Samuel says, there's no hope here. It's over. You're You're done. In verse 19, moreover, moreover the, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, here's the key, key, key verse here. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Samuel's in heaven. And he says, tomorrow, Saul, you and your sons will be with me in heaven. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So, Samuel tells Saul the exact time that he will be with him in heaven with the Lord. The next day, Saul gets overtaken, his army gets overtaken, and Saul falls upon his own sword to kill himself. And he didn't even do that right, because he was still alive and somebody else came by and had to finish the job for him. So Saul's ending was in an attempt to, to kill himself. That, that's Saul's ending. But Samuel told him, tomorrow that's going to happen, and you're going to be with me. You're going to go straight up to heaven with me. The thief on the cross was told by Jesus Christ, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The exact time and place was told by that thief, by Jesus Christ, when he will go to glory. And if you look at just those two cases, 
If you look just at Saul, we've, we've already mentioned a number of things of Saul. He was disobedient to God. He would not uh, destroy everything after the battle when he was supposed to with the, the uh, Amalekites. He uh, asked a blessing on a meal before a battle when Samuel was supposed to do that. And he went ahead because he was impatient. He then went to a, a witch to try to gain help from her and to raise up Samuel, which he shouldn't have done. He swore by the Lord falsely. And then he ended by trying to kill himself when his army was done for. And he didn't want to be at the hands of the Philistines. So there are six things right there in a very negative, ungodly way that Saul partook in that he ended his life with. But Samuel said, you're going to heaven. So from reading the story of Saul, he did not get better as his life went on. He did not grow closer to God as his life went on. In fact, he went further and further away. But Samuel said, you're coming up to heaven with me. Because it's not based on one's works if you're saved or not. You look at the thief on the cross. Well, how did he end his life? He obviously got caught doing a very ungodly thing. And he was hanging on a cross next to Jesus Christ. Right before he begged Jesus Christ for help, he was making fun of Jesus. He was insulting him. He was mocking him. And then he finally begged him for help. But it's certainly from looking at the life of the man on the cross, he wasn't getting better as he died. And you can go on and on. You could go to Samson. Samson, a man of great strength. Remember how he died? Committed suicide, didn't he? Pushed those poles apart and he collapsed the whole stadium. Killed a bunch of people. A bunch of Philistines. He started worshiping false gods. He started um, lusting after many, many women. And at the end of his life, he didn't grow closer to God. He was further and further away. You talk about David. When we read the book of 1 Samuel, you could barely find a negative thing about David until you read the book of 2 Samuel. And then you see David start to, to start to decrease and decrease. He didn't, to me, and from, from reading the Bible, he didn't wind up better than where he started. He started pretty good. Took down that giant Goliath. Was a man after God's own heart. You couldn't find anything wrong with him in 1 Samuel. So, did he lose his salvation? He didn't lose his salvation. If Saul didn't lose his salvation, David's not going to lose his salvation. And if David didn't lose his salvation, the thief on the cross isn't going to lose his salvation based on falling far from God. You ever know anybody in your own life who maybe you grew up with them in the church? Maybe they did great for a while. Maybe they loved the Lord. And and then maybe this world just got the best of them. And they went out and they did their own thing. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. Because if you're a child of God, you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, Jesus Christ paid for your sins. So if you start falling back, it's not about you. It's only about Jesus Christ when it comes to salvation. You look at Moses, how great of a leader he was. But at the end, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because of his own disobedience. And he died while his people went into the land that God promised. It doesn't sound like he, he, he wound up, he, he ended better in his life and closer to God. It doesn't sound like that to me. I think of people getting into, their, into old age. And I've worked at, I've worked at a lot of, uh, a, one nursing home, but I went to you know, different ones in the area. And they were suffering from Alzheimer's. 
And when you have Alzheimer's, some, if it's a severe case, some of the, the people that, that get that disease, they do things that they never did when they had a sound mind. I'm talking about cussing and just being nasty. They, they completely uh, lose their memory. And I, I, I got to think some of them may lose their, their belief in God or their thoughts of God. And if you look at just the story of old age, and, and especially in uh, someone's with Alzheimer's case, they're not getting closer to God. They're, they're not doing better than what they were before. And it's not their fault. It's not because they did anything. It's just because they got this disease and now maybe they can't worship the way they used to. Maybe they can't read their Bible as much as they, they used to. But that doesn't mean because they, they got this disease and they're, they're falling farther off. It would be shameful to think that because that, that has happened, they've, they've got that disease that they lose their salvation because they, they forgot about their Lord. In verse 19, when Samuel says, And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. That's a great portion of encouragement in the middle of a story that is so sad and weak. Because Saul has become weak and he just couldn't get anything right. But Samuel says, it's alright, because tomorrow you're going to be with me. He's preserved. If we go to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.18, let's go over there. 2 Timothy 4.18 And the Lord shall deliver me in every evil, from every evil work, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's read that one more time. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me, He's going to keep you, Unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This verse says that the Lord is going to keep you from every evil work. And mainly here, what I think it's referring to is every evil work that you will do. Okay? The Lord is going to protect you from your very self. And it's, sta- it's stating that um, that protection will be around you and you will pre- be preserved, you will be kept. You won't be able to lose the home that's in heaven for you. No matter how much sin you, you uh, partake in, no matter how many, how many times you've lusted or, or uh, backbited or, or gossiped, or, or have been mean to your family, or been mean to your brothers and sisters in Christ, or have said things that you're not supposed to say, or have thought things that you're not supposed to think, God says that I'm going to protect you from all of those evil works, and you will still have a home in glory, not based on what you do, but based on Jesus Christ and Him dying for you on the cross. That's what your home in glory is based on. Psalm 1, uh, 121 verse 7 says, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil, He shall preserve thy soul. Even in the Old Testament, it's taught that the Lord will preserve your soul. It's not going to expire. 
It's not going to be cut down. It's not going to be cut off. You're not going to spend the rest of eternity in the ground or roaming this earth or even in hell for that matter if you're a child of God. He says, God has preserved your soul. Let's go to Romans. We'll go to the book of Romans here in chapter 11. Let's get some more doctrine on this. Let's, let's be uh, assured and let's be confident that is, there's no way that you could lose your etern- eternal salvation based on what you do. Remember, that's the, the, the doctrine of, of perseverance is that um, you must um, persevere and get better and, and, and get through all this, this sin and grow closer to God as you get older. But that doctrine is false based on these verses. Verse uh, 5, Romans chapter 11. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Okay. And if it be of grace, then it is no more of works. If your salvation is based on Jesus Christ, then it is, there's nothing you can do to add to that. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. So we look at this doctrine of, I've got to keep doing better. Well, if you have to do something, then it is by works. If you have to keep getting better, then it is by your own works to be saved. And if that's true, then that contradicts this verse that teaches that it's not about what you do. And if that, if anything is contradictory in the Bible, the whole Bible's not true. The whole Bible's false, and we have nothing to go by. But it's not true because it says, and if by grace, which it is by grace, then is no more of what you do. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. It's not grace then. If you have to add something to it, grace is gone and it's of works, period. But if it be of works, if you had to work yourself into heaven, then it is no more grace. If you have to work yourself in heaven, you have no need for Jesus Christ. You ever think about that? If you had to do anything to get to heaven, you have no need of Jesus Christ. Because it says if it's of, of works, then it is no more grace. Then you don't need grace. You don't need the grace of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, work is no more work. And yet we have this constant conflict. And uh, I don't know if I'd call it conflict. But you have these other teachings in Christianity that says you, need, you, you have to do both. You need the grace and you need the works. There's a number of, of Christianity um, churches that believe, well, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to do good works. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. But you have to accept and you have to believe. But that mixes the two. And you cannot mix both of them. Because if you put one with the other, then it just doesn't work according to this verse. And I don't understand why we would want to do that when it's so good just the way it is. It's it's so good to just think about Jesus Christ 
and to think about the life that He led and how He gave it all up for us. And His blood covered all of our sins. And that's it. And I don't have to do anything. That, that is such a peaceful doctrine. I remember the first time I heard it. It was on the phone. My brother called me. And my whole life I believed the other way. That you had to do something. That's, a, that's what I was taught my whole life. And to hear the doctrines of grace, it frees your, it frees your soul. It gives you such a liberty and such a, such a freedom in your life to not have to worry about doing this and doing that or, or did I do, do more bad things than I did good. Oh, it removes all of that from you. And you could worship the way you're supposed to worship. You're not supposed to worship in fear. I hope no one here today is worshiping in fear. I hope that we're here to worship because you love Jesus Christ. And it's all about Him. Last, last week I gave the message at Winter Garden and, and we, we, we went through this verse in John 5.41. Jesus said this, I receive not honor from men. I receive not honor from men. So to think that we have to go around and, and do all these things in order to be saved, Jesus Christ said, I receive not honor from men. And think about this. When you come in to worship, you're honoring God, right? But if you don't have the Spirit of God within you, you can't come through these doors and worship. Why would you? You'd, you'd have no reason to be here. So really, when you come to give honor to God, it's Jesus Christ within you giving honor to Himself. Because He receives not honor from man. You can't say, oh, look at me, I did good today, came to church. I'm giving honor to God. No. Jesus Christ through you is giving honor to God, to Himself. <laughs> when you read your Bible, well, that's good, I'm honoring God, I'm, I'm reading what God's Word. Well, no, it's God through you Honoring God by you reading His Bible, reading His Word. Doesn't that doesn't that baffle you when you th- when you think about that? How it's all now you have free will. You have the choice to do 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 what you want. But every time you do do something good, it's because of God. And if we go on on to in uh, chapter eleven to verses, we'll read twenty seven through thirty six. Let's read verse twenty seven here. Let's go through this carefully. In verse 27, For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. This this verse speaks of the covenant that God had with the Jews. For this is my covenant unto them, the Jews, when I shall take away their sins. Verse 28, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So, verse 28 says, The Jews are enemies of the gospel because they don't believe it. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. The Jews are enemies of the gospel because they don't believe the gospel. But the Father still loves them because He elected them. But as the touching of the election, they are beloved 
for the Father's sake, because they were elected. In Deuteronomy 7-8, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, you can read there that God chose the Jews not based on their merit. They were a rather small people. They were rather insignificant people. He didn't choose them because they were great and because they were mighty. He didn't choose them on their merit and what they've done. He chose them because He wanted to choose them. Just when you talk about Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. He loved Jacob so the purpose of election might stand. That he might elect who he wants to elect. That he might choose who he wants to choose. Because it's all about God here. And in verse 29, for the gifts... For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. I love that. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means God will not take them back once He's given them to you. Once He's given you a gift, let's talk about the gift of grace. Once God gives you the gift of grace and salvation, He's not going to take that back. Once He gives you the calling, once He gives you His Holy Spirit to serve, He's not going to take that from you. You are not going to become a child of God through His Spirit, through His grace, through His mercy from you, by Him giving you His Spirit, and then He's going to get angry with you and take it back. If He was going to get angry with you because you were such a bad person, He would have got angry with Saul, and He would have took His Spirit back from Saul. But He didn't take His Spirit back from Saul. He said, tomorrow when you die, you're going to be with me. If he was going to get mad at someone, he would have got mad at that thief on the cross for living his life as a criminal. And he would have said, you know what, you could rot in hell. He didn't say that. He said, you're going to come home today with me in heaven. Not based on your merit, not based on what you've done, but based on the gifts and the calling that I've given you. For as in the times past have not believed God... This is talking about the Gentiles. For in times, for as ye in times past, the Gentiles, the Romans here, have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. So, the Gentiles at one time did not believe God, but now they've received mercy. Stay with me here. In verse 31, even so have these also now not believed, the Jews that are not believing God's Word now, the Jews are not believing the Gospel, even they have not believed that through your mercy, they may also obtain mercy. So now you've got two groups here. You've got the Gentiles who didn't believe but now believe, and now you've got the Jews who have never believed in Jesus Christ. And he's talking about all this mercy that comes uh, that is coming through. And in verse 32, For God hath concluded this. This is what God has concluded to make it simple, to not to to make things complicated in God's Word, because God's Word is plain when it comes to salvation. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief. We're going to make things simple. God's going to make things simple here. He says, I've concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all. If you're God's children, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're black, it doesn't matter if you're white, it doesn't matter if you're short, tall, wide, thin. If you're a child of God, you've got His mercy. 
You've got His grace. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that it doesn't matter where you're from. Praise the Lord that it doesn't matter whether you've grown up in the primitive Baptist and heard the gospel from a young age, or you haven't heard it till you're 65. Praise the Lord that we're saved by His grace, we're saved by His mercy, and it's all up to Him, it's all based on Him, and it's all because of what He did on the cross. Thank God for that. Oh, the depth of His riches, both of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, Paul's getting excited now. He says, look at the depth of His riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Because it goes against all reasoning of the human mind that God would save His people this way. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? Can you imagine trying to counsel God? Can you imagine going to God in prayer and saying, Look, God, I think I have a better idea than you have. I think I would have done it this way, God. It's probably going to turn out better. I think you've missed this one, Lord. Can you imagine doing that? How foolish would that be? To go to God and try to direct His ways. No, He's supposed to direct your ways and He will. Let Him do it. Who is His counselor or hath first given to Him? And it shall be recompensed unto Him again. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. For through Him are all things. For of Him, they're all of God. Everything you see this morning, I drive here, we drive through the countryside, how beautiful it is to see those fields and and the strawberries and and the herbs that are just growing up and and the green grass. It's beautiful around here on a beautiful, sunny day. You know what? It's all been made by God. Everyone here this morning, a great congregation, a great group of, of Christians coming out to worship Him, you've all been made by the Lord. Praise the Lord for it. Praise the Lord that you're here this morning. Praise the Lord that you have an opportunity to come out and to give glory and honor to God. Thank Him for that He's working through you this morning. He's been good to you, hasn't He? He's been good to you. He's changed my life. And it's all been of Him. Everything's been created of Him and through Him. Salvation, eternity, is through Jesus Christ. That's it. They came to him, the the apostles, and said, well, how do we get to heaven? He said, I am the way. Through me, you're going to heaven. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the truth of salvation. Everything that I say is true, and you need to listen to it. And I am the life that's everlasting. The bread of life that cannot die has been passed to you, and you will not die. You shall not die, but you shall live forever with Him in heaven. Praise the Lord for it. And to Him are all things created. And to Him. Oh, if we could just get that down deep. That it's not about me. That my whole life is not about me. If I could give my life to Jesus Christ because He's done everything... For me, man, how much peace would I have if I could give my life to Him and if I could give my life to one another? If I could help somebody else out, you know how good you'd feel? I tell you, the, the more, the more I, I put away some of my selfishness and put it on others, the better I feel. And it's a battle daily. It's a battle daily. 
When I think, well, if I do this, my wife will be more happy, and I actually do it, I have a better day. Same thing for my son and and my my mom who's here and my family. When when I put them first, man, it feels good. When When I put other brothers and sisters in Christ, man, it feels good. Let's go to Colossians. Let's stay on this same note here. Let's go to Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him were all things created, thank God, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether you see them or not, whether they, are, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. All things were created by Him and for Him. That verse right there can give you great peace in your life. Because when things start to go bad, and you start to you really think about yourself, and that selfishness starts kicking in, that verse will help you a lot. To know that it's all about God, and you know what? I'm going to stop thinking about myself so much, and I'm going to start meditating and turning my thoughts towards God. And when you do that, listen up folks, when you do that, He will never give you more than you can bear. I tell you, things are getting rough at school. You all know I teach in a, in a rough neighborhood. And things are getting rough. It's the last few weeks of school. They know they could get away with anything, and they're trying. So I got this. I got a class out there, about twenty kids. This, uh, they're fourth grader, uh, fifth graders, and a fourth grade student comes out who's not even supposed to be there. And another student hits her, and that student starts running across the field. And they're all supposed to be going home. They're not supposed to be staying here. They're supposed to be dismissing. And they all start running around the field. 20 kids, all of them. And one of them jumps the fence. Now, if that kid gets hit by a car, I'm going to be in big trouble. All right? He jumps the fence. And I've got, now I've got, and then there's another class over there with another teacher, and they start running around. We had like 35 kids out there all scattered. And it just, it gets to a point where you just want to give up. And you want to say, that's enough. I've had it. And it's day after day. The same behavior. And I work with a man, Coach Johnson, and he always brings me right back down to reality. He says, brother, you got to calm it down. All right? It's not about you here. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about God. He knows why you're here. He knows why he, you, you, you've been placed in this, in this environment. You're here to help. And he's right. And then once I start focusing my mind back on Christ, you know what? The next day gets, gets, is all right. It's better. Sometimes, you know, after being out in the heat, 95 degree heat, day in and day out, you know, it starts to wear on you. And just when you're about to say, you know what, I need to take a few days off, cool down. You'll go out there and God will give you some nice cloud cover and a nice cool breeze throughout the day. And He never has given me more than I can bear to this day. Never. <laughs> He's been so good. He's so gracious. 
And your life is not supposed to meant to be easy and, and everything's supposed to flow in a nice, cool way. No, you're going to have hard times. And you get those hard times so you could turn your focus and your reliance back on Jesus Christ because all things are for Him. And in verse 17, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. You ever think about God before time? Do you ever think about God before this earth was here? I remember doing that as a kid. I knew about God. We've been going to, going to the Catholic Church, and my mom would read me the child's Bible every night. Thank you, Mom. You know, got a little, got a little knowledge there. And, but I would think about this world before the earth was here. And I'd picture it as like a blank piece of paper, like a white sheet and just endless space, like walking into a white sheet of paper. And then God may be drawn, drawn the earth or something like that. But it's just, it will boggle your mind if you just lay in your bed at night and think about the world before it was and then think about God creating it. Absolutely amazing, His power. Absolutely amazing. And He is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence. You know, at Winter Garden, Elder Glenn Blanchard is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is. You know, here at this church, Elder Chris Krause is not the head of the church, but Jesus Christ is. They're the shepherds, and and they deserve honor and respect, but Jesus Christ is the head of His church. And if we keep that in mind, you'll have great peace. You know, we've been looking for a pastor for quite some time now. It just it hasn't gone the way the way we thought it. But you know what? I'll tell you at Winter Garden, we've had great peace recently. Great peace. The great spirit there in that church. And it's because we know that Jesus Christ is the head of it. And as long as we've got men to come up and preach, and we've got people that are going to show up into the pews to pray and to worship, we're going to have something good here. As long as we stay with that focus that Jesus Christ is our leader. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And, having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, all things are coming back to God. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, they're all God's. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Isn't that a great thought? To one day, we'll be in heaven with Christ and we'll be as holy as can be. Try to get that feeling here. I've had it a few times where you actually you feel pretty holy. You, you feel God's Spirit so much in your own life. But then sometimes you lose it. The world comes back into your life. You do something you shouldn't. Think about the feeling of being holy for all eternity. Of being like Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And unblameable. You'll be there, you'll go up to Christ. As soon as you die, you'll go up to heaven and there will be no blame placed upon you. 
because of Jesus Christ. You won't have to answer for yourself. You won't have, what is it, the teaching? The Saint, Saint Peter will be up there weighing your good works and, and weighing your bad works. You know that's false. That's not going to happen. But you're going to go in there and you're going to be holy and you're going to be unblameable. No blame is going to be placed upon you and you will finally be where you belong. Finally, that burden of sin will no longer dwell within you. And you'll do everything right. Can't you wait to hear the angels sing? Can't you wait to can you wait to see the the, the beauty and the majesty of heaven? Ah. Oh. You look at it, you look at some of the, the tourist destinations and places people visit, and you look at them and you say, Wow, those are beautiful. And I don't even think those compare to what heaven is. Ah. Oh. Boy, do we have something to look forward to this morning, don't we? And it's not based on what you've done. It's not based on if you're going to get better from this point on or not. It's not based on whether you're going to make a declaration and come down here and accept Christ. It's based on Jesus Christ and Him dying on the cross for an ungodly people. And He looked down upon them and had mercy on them. He chose them before the world began. And then Christ came down here and He did exactly what He set out to do. And He died for His people and we'll all be together one day in heaven. Praise God for that. Thank God for that. And meditate on that the rest of your days. It will bring you great, great peace. May God bless you.